Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today I am here with my integral brother, Steve McIntosh. And by way of introduction to our topic, Steve, you and I are neighbors and very often we hang out and talk politics and plot the integral takeover of the world. <laughs> and as I recall it, this was maybe a couple months ago, we were sitting in front of my fireplace talking about promoting your new book, Developmental Politics, How America Can Grow Into a Better Version of Itself, which is, in my mind, a real integral political manifesto, and I love it. Thank and you. anyway, you were talking away, and you used the term post-progressive. And I remember when you used it, it just hit me between the eyes and how, you know, I felt this is what an inevitable new sort of political space and it felt right. And, uh, and I remember when you, you were done, actually you used two terms. One was a post-progressive and the other was cultural intelligence. And when you were done talking, I said, Steve, there's your two hooks. And you know, the more we thought about it together, the more we liked it. You know, I liked it so much, I've changed the subhead of the Daily Evolver to a post-progressive look at politics and culture. And you've written an article for Aereo Magazine, which is an intellectual magazine online. So I'm really excited about this. And, and, and I thought to myself, surely this topic, I'm sure I've heard it before, it's just natural, it's inevitable in a way, but we got postprogressive.com as a URL. I mean, I can't believe that. So anyway, maybe it is new territory. So why don't you start by just explaining what you're talking about and maybe some of the points you hit in the Arrow Magazine article. Sure. Well, I've identified politically as a progressive all my life, really, ever since I cast my first vote for Jimmy Carter in 1980. And um, I've always kind of identified most closely with the counterculture and um, been just, it seemed like the most caring set of values, right? The, that is the, the movement for a more peaceful and loving world just seemed like the most evolved form of culture that was on offer, you know, in America as, yeah. as, a, as a man. In 1999, I sort of joined the integral movement and became uh, uh, realized that uh, the emergence of this integral worldview was a kind of a calling um, that I had been called to participate in. And so it's been 20 years that I've been writing books and, and working with you and other people in um, developing this, this integral perspective, you know, c coming from Ken Wilber and Taylor Deschardins and all the evolutionary greats, of course. Um, but we are, keen participants in this. And it became obvious that um, among the many problems that this integral perspective could solve, that the political problems in the United States was uh, among the most ripe for this kind of thinking, this kind of, of, of view. And so applying integral philosophy to help create political evolution in America, which could certainly use it, uh, has been what I've been working on really since 2012, primarily. And so the book, Developmental Politics, is sort of the major fruit of, of this political work and experience that I've had uh, working with the Institute for Cultural Evolution think tank uh, in doing events and, and uh, 
uh, getting a lot of political experience. But one of the things about Integral is that it offers a worldview. And the last thing people want is, in some ways, is a new worldview, right? They, they, they want their worldview to triumph. So thinking of ways that the, uh, this perspective can be framed so that it can do work, one of the things that we've, we've touched on are, are synonyms for this integral worldview, right? Um, uh, for a while, we use the term post-postmodern, which describes it culturally kind of what it is, but of course, it's a highly unwieldy term. And the term post-progressive, um, that, that has a little bit more bite to it. It's a little bit more polemical. So it's important to say up front that by embracing this, this label of post-progressive in the political perspective that you and I are offering, um, we're not leaving the left like the podcaster Dave Rubin has declared. You know, I used to be a progressive, but now, you know, I can't stand it. I don't think that's what we're about at all. Indeed, we want to make the uh, progressive political goals more effective. We want to help uh, progressives achieve the more caring and loving world that they seek but we want to do it in a way that, that is focused on overcoming progressivism's shortcomings, its pathologies. Yeah. Yeah. So post-progressivism at its best, if we're getting it right, it's transcending and including progressivism as a cultural and political outlook. Um, and it does this, as you mentioned, through a, a kind of a method which we're labeling cultural intelligence. Yes. And so cultural intelligence is another word for integral consciousness it plays upon the popularity of emotional intelligence. So we don't want to be too marketing-oriented or too gimmicky. But like you said, we do want to create terms that can, uh, that can give this political perspective some legs. And I think we've hit on post-progressive-ism, if you'll pardon the ism. It's more of an outside overview perspective. Right. It's, it's a political position that's not that at least is attempting not to align itself against any of the other worldviews, but indeed include all of their important needed values while clearly recognizing the pathologies of each, right? The three yeah. major worldviews, which we talk a lot about a lot in on the Daily Evolver, and I outline in detail historically in my book, the mainstream worldview of modernity or modernism, the, the ancient but enduring traditional worldview, primarily religious worldview that, that still represents 30% of America in terms of their cultural center of gravity. Yep. And then over the last 50 years, this progressive worldview, this postmodern worldview, which has emerged beginning in the 60s, but over the decades has matured from a counterculture into a kind of counter-establishment, right? Which, which is now, it, it represents a moral system which is in a kind of a historical tug of war with the traditional moral system for the soul of modernity, right? So the traditional, traditional worldview, almost all, everyone is on the right. The progressive worldview is almost everyone is on the left. Um, and, and modernity is kind of pulled in both directions because these alternative moral systems are seemingly incompatible. Yeah. So this, this existential challenge of the culture war, which is poisoning American politics, and, and I would say has in many ways led to the Trump administration is an existential problem for which it's growth, it's cultural evolution that brought us to this place of, of, a, of a dysfunctional politics. So in some ways, it's, it's uh, the good news is that we're, we're continuing to evolve, um, but right now we're at this transition point 
where progressivism as a political program uh, has not only failed to achieve electoral success, but I would say there are many ways in which progressivism's pathologies are fueling Trumpism and, and the resurgence of, of the right and, and its um, enduring political power. Yeah. So it's, it's not as if this post-progressive perspective is, is simply siding with progressivism in an attempt to crush the right. No. What we're trying to do without moving toward the right is uh, overcome progressivism's pathologies and try to stake out a, a political perspective, a position, a stance, an outlook, a viewpoint that can gain traction among uh, mainstream political discourse and offer an alternative to a progressive discourse, which validates many of the positives of progressivism uh, without completely vilifying the best of what's come before. Yeah, I, I think where I am relieved and, and magnetized to this idea is around, you know, the limits of prog progressivism for me. A lot of it is dispositional or emotional outlook itself. What's characteristic of the green or postmodern sensibility, progressive sensibility, is for one thing, an increase, this is the good side, an increased sensitivity to actually suffering in general, and particularly suffering of, of people who have been marginalized by the system as it is. This is the great realization of progressivism, that that needs to be fixed. And, and, and so there's a lot of pain around that. The problem with that is it's turned into a bummer. You know, I, I watched Morning Joe and Fox and Friends. You know, I sort of, those are the two dueling morning shows. And I've come to see them as mirror images of each other, particularly with this COVID pandemic. Fox and Friends is the false hope channel and Morning Joe is the false fear channel. And I don't want either one of them full time. But I'll tell you what, I feel like a more informed and more um, fully participating citizen when I'm actually listening to both. And I don't believe I'm saying that. I scoffed at Fox. I started my day with the New York Times and Morning Joe. I didn't want to be fed a line. But now more and more, I feel like I'm being fed the progressive line. And um, I'm tired of it. I can't go there anymore. It's not enough. I can't just listen to grievance. And I right. think that's true for a lot of people who want something else, but they don't want to go back to, you know, the rah-rah pep rallies of Fox and Friends. Not just that, at least. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, part of it is that the the... The media, especially in an election year, can't help but reinforce the overly simplistic horizontal continuum of left and right, right? So, so progressivism, green in the integral lingo, uh, postmodernism, if we use that term as a, as a cultural uh, designation and not just uh, academic critical philosophy or critical theory, it, the, the choices it, it seem to be since progressivism, progressivism occupies the far left, that if we're going to escape or overcome progressivism's shortcomings and pathologies, the only choice is to move right on the spectrum exactly. to, to yeah. set toward centrism. 
So a, a lot of arguments against progressivism sound like they're a regression to modernity, right? To a centrist, modernist perspective. And this is the, the hopefully the breakthrough that progressivism can offer, post-progressivism, if you'll, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to frame it. We, we have to talk about it, right? It's a thing, right? It's a viewpoint. It's a, it's a political position. So we have to use an ism. But we, we're not trying to create a competing faction. We're trying to create a position for people to be able to include the best of all worldviews, as I mentioned. Yes. So post-progressive takes this horizontal continuum of left and right and turns it upright so we get a vertical dimension of normative growth. It's not necessarily a linear dimension. It's not as if um, the emergence of this postmodern progressive worldview is simply better or you know, morally superior in every way. The, the, the course of development of cultural value frames or structures is dialectical. So it kind of moves back and forth partially horizontally, partially in a spiral. I mean, we don't have to get too geometrical about it. But the point is that this post-progressive perspective is outside and above, right? It can do what progressivism can't. It can see progressivism's own shortcomings while at the same time recognizing how important and necessary it is for our further cultural evolution, right? So progressivism provides a, a, a extremely needed, urgent check on the, um, the pathologies and negative externalities of modernity and on the outmoded moral sensibilities of traditionalism, right? So postmodernism emerged for evolutionarily necessary reasons. Um, and, and again, you and I have been primarily, have had great affinity with it throughout our lives. Um, but we can now see from this perspective, now we get some verticality in our perspective, we can see how the next step beyond the antithesis, right, the negation of modernity, is, is to re-include all three. And, and that is, that's where this method of cultural intelligence comes in. Yeah. Right? So, so cultural intelligence is the ability to, to, to recognize these cultural structures, to take an overview perspective on American culture. So indeed, it applies to the culture of the developed world, but for purposes of you know, political management. We're just talking about America for the moment. And this vertical perspective can see around every worldview, right? Instead of just seeing the downsides, you know, from within any one of these worldviews, it's the downsides, as you mentioned, that are most evident because they're the most threatening. <clears throat> and, and, and from within, it's the upsides that kind of obscure the downsides, right? Because you're a partisan of your position and the downsides are sort of maybe you know, you can't ignore them sometimes, but in general, you're willing to accept them or gloss over them. And so this post-progressive political perspective can see around each worldview, clearly seeing the good and the bad of each yeah. as the first step. And then the next step is this move whereby we, we tease apart the negatives from the positives of each worldview. So we can see how the traditional worldview clearly has negatives, right? Ethnocentrism, right? Homophobia, sexism. Um, xenophobia, there's all kinds of negatives that are these ethnocentric legacies of, of a time in history when uh, it was a warlike world and, and you know, these yeah. were life conditions. It was the leading edge for a whole long part of human history. Group solidarity, us against them, right? So that's got all, all kinds of, um, um, uh, uh, you know, antisocial tendencies, which, yes. which we're still in the process of pruning away. 
But at the same time, there are aspects of the traditional worldview that are foundational to our civilization and, and need to be carried forward in a way, even as we transcend progressive the traditionalism, even as traditionalism becomes a, a kind of a, a past structure of history, there are living values there that need to be carried forward, like a sense of fair play, like a sense of, of duty and honor and sacrifice of self-interest for the greater good of the whole, like patriotism, right? Healthy forms of these values are necessary. For a, what a, a, a re-enchantment of the world. Sure. You know, uh, the idea that there is a, uh, that, that there's a dimension of reality beyond time and space that is real and maybe even sees us and loves us. That I think in an integral worldview, uh, that's reintegrated. But right. the, the ethnocentric us against them part isn't. It's like right. you talked about honor and self-sacrifice. At the traditional level, that's for my people. As we move that into an integral level, it's for all people. Right. And, and the world-centric morality that, that everybody counts in the world, it's not just Americans account or, or Christians right. account, that, that um, evolutionary achievement, which we can largely attribute to the rise of the progressive worldview, yep. uh, is, is one of the most powerful things we have to make more successful. We don't want to see that world-centric morality spread throughout the world. But in order to do that, um, we have to make progressivism more effective. And, and in order to do that, um, this post-progressive perspective can help progressivism. So just returning to the, this method of cultural intelligence, cultural intelligence also recognized modernity as the great fact, right? It's, it's, it's created more cultural evolution than any worldview before or since. It's afforded us the great enrichment whereby we have the, the, the luxury to think about politics and philosophy and cultural evolution. I mean, modernity is, we take it for granted because we're like the proverbial fish, you know, in the waters of it uh, culturally as a historical structure. Um, but of course, modernity is, is unsustainable, you know, by itself. It's environmentally unsustainable, it's culturally unsustainable. As the rest of the world achieves a modernist lifestyle, um, we can't go on like that. Yeah. And it's also, if I may say, it's yes. the worldview that disenchants the world from, uh, you know, God is everywhere to God is nowhere. It has and to break that, the grip of yeah, tradition. Exactly. I, I mean, evolutionarily kind of... appropriate, but, you know, it leaves people in a state of anxiety that is, you know, new and has to be, this is part of the downside, is right. the, you know, alienation, anxiety of modernity. As it breaks with traditionalism, right, it loses a connection to some, you know, greater ideal of transcendence. Yes. Right. It's sort of it does it, 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 achieving status and material is only satisfying to a point. So, the progressive worldview, and of course, we're not talking about the term progressivism as it was used at the turn of the 20th century, right? Woodrow Wilson was uh, considered a progressive. We want to distinguish the use of the term. We're talking about this countercultural worldviews that now become a counter-establishment. So progressivism in the 21st century is talking about this green worldview that we yes. always talk about. And this worldview uh, has 
in a sense, gained cultural traction by pushing off against the pathologies of modernity. It said, no, it's not sustainable. We can't continue to destroy the environment and, and grow economically in a way that creates sprawl and gross inequality. And, and, and consumerism uh, and right. you know, so they all of that. Their political power, their cultural power, by this move of antithesis, this breaking away, this rejection of the establishment of modernity and traditionalism. And that's an important historical move. And people have to stand in that place, right? So it's not as if people who have a progressive view and, and reject modernity are all wrong, or we want them to necessarily change their minds. But right. we have to point out that if, we, if they want to achieve the goals, their laudable goals of a more caring and loving and environmentally sustainable world, then they have to use the cultural intelligence on themselves, right? They have to, this progressive cultural structure needs to grow beyond the antithesis to the synthesis, to, to a, a more inclusive worldview that can persuade, gently persuade the rest of the society. And, and the way to do that is that its own, its own goals and, and um, demands can be made more inclusive. They can integrate the, the, the laudable sensibilities of other worldviews. So that's what our project is about. But this post-progressive uh, political position that we're, we're rolling out, that we're, we're trying on. We got the URL. <laughs> it is, um, it, it's got, a, 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 it, it, it integrates mainstream concerns with progressive concerns. So to be specific, some of the platform positions of this post-progressive uh, perspective, which you don't have to have integral consciousness to identify with, right? It, it's not, it, it's a, designed to be a, a broader umbrella than um, a, a new worldview that goes beyond the progressive worldview and that, and that requires your consciousness to develop into before you can really get the aha moment. Um, certainly integral consciousness helps with the cultural intelligence that is the method of this post-progressive approach. But nevertheless, <clears throat> hopefully it can include people who still have a center of gravity with modernism or, or progressives. Oh, it, it has to. So we, we post-progressives uh, like us, this position, would like to get much more serious about ameliorating carbon pollution, right? About, about not just uh, uh, reducing the emissions of the United States, but actually transforming the United States culture and politics into world leadership on global warming, right? World leadership in um, recognizing that even though the United States only represents 15% of the carbon pollution in the world, um, we, in a sense, have a much greater responsibility to try to lead the way on global warming, right? But we want to do so in a way that doesn't impoverish the world in the process, that doesn't neglect the fact that energy uh, is, is what drives prosperity, and that without the underlying prosperity and economic vitality of modernity, there's going to be a cultural regression that's, that, would, that would make concerns for the environment off the table for the most part. In other words, envir global environmental concern is an achievement of this progressive worldview. And so people who have not achieved this progressive worldview are more concerned with the, their own, uh, their, you know, their, their own problems to worry about the globe, right? World-centric morality and, and global environmental concern is an achievement that has been made possible by the previous 
stable and enduring achievements of these other worldviews. So, so recognizing how we have to lead in a way that, that doesn't feed off of the, um, uh, the, the available but, but problematic political will that can be garnered around hating modernity, right? A lot of the environmental movement- More traditionalism. Right, has you know, Naomi Klein, right? She says, look, this is the environmental movement is the, the global warming is an opportunity for us to restructure capitalism, yes. right? And while capitalism and, indeed- and, Yeah, I was gonna say, that's true. But it, it, it has to come with an appreciation of capitalism and what it has brought us. And that's the beauty of Integral in general, is that we get to re-embrace the energies of the previous stages. So traditionalism, modernism, postmodernism, even back to magical, and allow them all to grow in us so that to move forward, I actually want to be more modern, to be more rational, for science and technology to continue to progress. I actually also want to be more uh, enchanted. I want to love my country more and my people and my history and my karma. And, and then I also want to be ever more sensitive to other people, more sensitive than green is now, actually, right. if, you, if you can imagine. But that's, we don't have any idea how sensitive we can be as human beings and where we're going when, when we can allow all of these worldview energies into our bigger space. And then politically, there's just nothing like... Um, dealing with your political opponent with a, 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 an attitude of curiosity rather than condemnation. Well, I mean, th this method of cultural intelligence uh, is not just a kind of a superficial admonition to consider the other side or, or, or be more self-critical of your own worldview's shortcomings. It also involves a, a quite well-developed technique using polarity theory to identify um, value polarities that are interdependent, right? Like mercy and justice or liberty and equality, right? Those are abstract. But we've also got political polarities, uh, indestructible permanent polarities, at least in our lifetime. When we look at uh, globalism and nationalism, globalism and nationalism are, are in, in a sense, interdependent because globalism's further advance depends on the achievements, the ongoing achievements of nationalism, right? So we can see the downsides of nationalism clearly, right? Xenophobia and, and uh, uh, the, the jingoism and ethnocentrism that, that nationalism breeds, the ugly side of nationalism. But, but nationalism makes democracy possible, right? Nationalism is what allows for structures that create a viable social safety net. So we want to have world-centric morality. We want to care about people who are not just part of our nation state, but we have to recognize that our nation state has, it has its own needs, even though it has, you know, upsides and downsides, that our championing of globalism and our desire to see the world more interconnected and the desire to see world-centric morality implemented in global culture, that very goal depends upon this interdependent relationship with, with healthy nationalism, healthy civic nationalism. And the only way to make nationalism healthy is to continuously prune away its negatives, right? To be aware of those negatives, to surface those negatives, and 
the globalist perspective can see those negatives much better than the proponents of nationalism can, just like nationalists can see the, the downsides of globalism, right, uh, uh, more clearly. Yes. So yes. if we can bring these people together, uh, these proponents of globalism and nationalism, and, and really drive home the interdependence, right? Once you've teased apart the dignities from the disasters, the interdependence of, of, of an authentic value polarity becomes more evident, and then you can begin to work in it. You can create this relationship of challenge and support, right? But it's not as if we need a formal debate to create the relationship of challenge and support. This relationship of challenge and support between interdependent value polarities can occur within ourselves. Yes. Like we're, we're aware that we want to see globalism forwarded, but it depends, it rests on a healthy nationalism. So that's part of this post-progressive perspective. It's, a, it's not just a, a static perspective. It's an ongoing process of analyzing yes. political issues, opinions, and, and continuing to attempt to take a stance that's outside and above and then recognizes the interdependence of this ecosystem of traditionalism, modernism, yes, yes. And progressivism. Hallelujah. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes think, Steve, as integral consciousness, of course, it's not just what you think, it's how you think when you move in these stages. And so integral consciousness is a new ballgame. And I think one of the great examples of it that, that helps people, it helps me, is when I think of parenting a child. You know, you don't judge and belittle a child for getting things wrong. And humanity gets a lot of things wrong. We could see this with COVID, you know, and, and this pandemic. For me, as an integralist, I don't expect that we get things right. Not in the way I used to expect that we got things right, which is that they went my way. I don't think that there are good options in the way that I used to think, where it was about, you know, it being the way I think it ought to be. And, and that's, again, like parenting a child where a child gets everything wrong in the process of growing up, from holding a spoon to learning to read, you know, falling in love. And as a parent, you want to guide and intervene and, you know, curb the worst behaviors and nurture the best behaviors. Uh, but you also realize that there's a, they're growing under their own power. And, and so is humanity. And, and you can see that if you have more than one kid, you have to do it more than one kind of way. And if you have a lot of kids, it's, you know, a lot more complicated. And if you've got a whole culture, it's even more complicated. But the basic instructions to love, nurture, protect, guide, you know, that's the new feeling to me, the new sensibility of integral politics. And, you know, of just this post-progressive, you know, the, the felt sense of it. Sure. Well, and, and there is a, a degree in which it's, it's embodied, right? And as you can feel it in your gut, right? That, that you've got, when, when you're using the perspective correctly, it's not just drawing a pros and cons analysis. It involves using these caring values to extend the care, right, beyond yes. just your own tribe. But in order to transcend progressivism, just like progressivism, you know, postmodernism, had to kind of break with modernity. It had to, it had to sort of push off against it and, and be born in its own right. But, the, but that, that strident pushing off against is still occurring, right, in our time, right? Just like progressivism used modernity's shortcomings to gain traction culturally, we're trying to gain traction culturally for this next step, for this synthetic move. 
And to do that, we have to identify and, and reckon with progressivism's pathologies. But, but in order to do so, it's important to say up front that we're trying to go back and forth. It's not a still photo. It's a moving picture, yes. right? We're, 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 we're acknowledging progressivism's shortcomings. And then in the next step, we're trying to say, and there are very many things there that we need and we want to carry forward. So, right. so as we do this, it's important for people to understand that we're, 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 we're not just saying progressivism is bad. But nevertheless, we have to get specific, right? So what are progressivism's pathologies, right? I would say the first one is anti-modernism. You know, people who see capitalism only for its negatives, those negatives are something we want to improve too. Yes, yes. But we want to do it in a way that preserves the gifts of modernity because those gifts are, are uh, foundational to everything that comes after, right? So that's the way evolution works, is that something more keeps coming from something less, but something more, in order to be sustainable, takes up and uses the ongoing accomplishments of what came before, right? So it's like Russian dolls. And so we have this... Um, Modernity's values are not just accumulating status and material. That's the way it looks from the outside. Modernity's predicated on a set of liberal values, right? Freedom of speech, press, religion, assembly, due process, economic freedom, right? The sovereign political rights of the individual. These are an, an amazing emergence in history that are like the Cambrian explosion in cultural evolution. In other words, just like the Cambrian explosion brought us the backbone, you know, the vertebrate, upon yeah. which almost all future evolution depends, and sort of using that innovation to, to create, you know, the higher mammals. Yes. That's, that's a great analogy, Steve. You ought to use that. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> so, so modernity gives the citizen backbone, right? You're yeah. not just a serf. You are a political actor, right, with rights and with, with a, a, a sphere of individual responsibility that the government or any form of collective cannot intrude on, right? That's an achievement in cultural evolution that, that we, uh, we eroded our peril. You have to be able to identify the positives of the polarity that you're working with. So if we have the positives of the progressive values, all the caring, sensitive, environmental, concerned, collective, morality, that egalitarian, egalitarianism, all those very important values are in an interdependent relationship with the individualistic liberal values of modernity. Yep. And, and the principle is, is that the best way, when you faced with an interdependent value polarity, the best way to forward the values of your preferred poll is to affirm the values of the poll you oppose. So affirming that modernity stands for these liberal individualistic values, and while those don't stand alone, those are in interdependence with egalitarian values, they're necessary. They're the backbone upon which we're going to evolve our cultural yep. organism, right? So anti-modernism discounts those values. It, it, it doesn't appreciate how those values are necessary for the egalitarian values of progressivism, right? The prosperity, the... the um, you know, the, 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 the freedoms of a society where we can have an entire culture of dissent, right? These are very important values which need to be preserved and carried forward. And so one of the major shortcomings of progressivism is its, is its um, inadequate recognition of the, of the foundational importance of modernity, right? And we could say, we could make a similar analysis of traditionalism, but we, yeah. we did already. But anti-modernism, it's, it, it's almost the thing that binds all the different kinds of, of postmodern culture together, 
right? Whether it's progressive spirituality or, or intersectionality or, or uh, environmental movement or, you know, just the, the progressive political movement gains its, its, uh, its juice by being anti-modern. So it's understandable, right? It's forgivable, but it's now no longer acceptable. We have to move beyond it because it's, yeah. the progressive goals are too important just to stand in protest, just to have our purity of dissent, right? We, we need to do better. So yeah. um, anti-modernism is something that progressives themselves can take responsibility for. They can look at that and when they, the, the, doing the work, the practice of post-progressive political perspective making, meaning making, is to continually try to find the interdependent values of, of the modernity that you hate, right? Another- Well, uh, like what is it to be both cooperative and competitive? Sure. You know, that's, that's a koan, actually. Sure. But by sort of you know, working it and integrating that, you actually, it's what koans do. It expands your mind beyond sure. just these, you know, gripped um, uh, definitions. Sure. Another generalized um, polarity, uh, uh, pathology, I would say, of, of this progressive political stance is reverse patriotism, right? In other words, that is in an attempt to, um, in a legitimate attempt to atone for and, and try to um, uh, reconcile the sins of the developed world, right? Not just environmental degradation, but colonialism, right? And, and uh, um, uh, you know, sort of the gross inequality, all of the, the, the negative externalities which modernity has, has brought, um, being able to, to, to recognize that, that, that the progressive attempt to characterize American history as a sinister criminal enterprise is one of the main things that has stirred up the other side. In other words, patriotism, this sort of love of America, has its own pathology, right? And so the jingoism that, that sees America as only good, or it turns a blind eye to the crimes and, and misdemeanors of American history. Those are certainly, they, they, there was a, a rightful role of progressivism in, in bringing those to light. In, in rubbing our Absolutely. noses Absolutely. Uh, you know, as, as a country in slavery and, and the genocide of the Indians and, and, you know, the list of things that, that are the crimes of America, those, in order to grow, we need, we need to reconcile those. But, but at the same time, even as we're reconciling with those, we don't want to let that, that process of healing and reconciliation lead to con the continuous election of, of figures like Trump. Right, who are who are the, the, the reverse patriotism in a sense has been a huge galvanizing force for Trumpism, and and it's not all wrong. So recognizing that reverse patriotism that uh, that we we can hold but we can hold two truths at once. Right, this is another example of cultural intelligence. Yeah, the well, truth it's is like it, just as an example, it's like in the last couple of days. Uh, so this is the COVID pandemic, and. Trump goes to visit the Honeywell plant on the West Coast somewhere, where they have refigured things to make masks and things that we need for the medical. And so the story from the left is it was a disaster. You know, he didn't wear a mask. They, they, the, the song they played was Liver Let Die when the, they were warming up the crowd. You know, it was all, all a sham. He's an oaf. We hate him. And yeah, that's it, beginning and end of the story, if you watch Morning Joe. On Fox, it was a pep rally. 
I mean, first of all, you had wide shots of people, all perfectly socially distanced. The host was Ainsley, I'm forgetting her name, uh, you know, and she talked about what they were doing and how proud she was of being an American. And she's always proud of being an American, but she was especially proud because, you know, the president was there and you could just tell that he wanted to reach out and touch these people and hug them, but he couldn't because everybody was following the rules. And you could just feel that sort of dispositional, energetic difference between these two things that are very hard to reconcile. Right. You know, and it's right. actually a practice at Integral to reconcile those because they're both pieces of the truth. Well, it takes a kind of perspectival nimbleness, if yeah. you will, a dance between acknowledging, owning, uh, feeling the shame that goes with America's misdeeds, while at the same time feeling the pride that goes with being a proud, patriotic American, and that America is one of the greatest things that ever happened in history, right? So that doesn't mean we're gonna whitewash its crimes or not be sorry for the damage that it's done, but we can't just rest in the damage because yep. that's gonna continue to, to lead to Trump, right? And to, to the, 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 the empowering of the kind of patriotism which moves toward jingoism and xenophobia, right? So we, we need to have both. We need a healthy patriotism. And underlying that healthy patriotism is this recognition of the globalism, nationalism polarity and how that's a permanent, you know, indestructible polarity. Mm -hmm. um, recognizing that, you know, leads to post-progressive political positions that are more nuanced, like, for example, with immigration, right? So world-centric morality says that the people who are suffering in Guatemala, that we ought to, you know, we, we're partially responsible for the turmoil in Central America, right, our foreign policy. And so we have a responsibility to care for the refugees of the people who've been displaced, not only by, you know, the violent gangs of a, of a failed state, but also by the global warming that's, that's exacerbating that, which we as the leaders of modernity have created. So world-centric morality makes it clear that we ought to accept that, if you just have a world-centric morality without recognizing the nationalism, globalism, polarity, then that calls for open borders, right? Open borders are the most world-centric thing you can do, right? Yeah. But the trouble with open borders is that it leads to Republican victories. I mean, in other words, calls for it because yeah. they're, they're... Well, they're, it leads to bad effects. Well, sure You know, that yeah. legitimately are resisted by people particularly who are ethnocentric. Right. I mean, hello. Well, and if we care about people who are uh, at the in the bottom rungs of our economy, we might say we might right. those who are you know in the higher rungs might say, well, look, in the long term, in the economic analysis, immigration is great for the economy, right? And we know better, and so therefore believe us. But these are the people who are on the ground and who are um, yes. actually feeling displaced, right, yes. or or overlooked. Now, I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with that, but these are people who are, who are of good sense and good faith, many of them, who are voting their self-interest. And if we're going to be caring, then we have to acknowledge that there's some truth to that self-interest of a resistance to open borders, right? The, 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 the nation state of America has achieved many things, right? We'd, we'd like to be more and more like Denmark or Norway, right? We're not there yet. But... Nevertheless, America stands for a lot of good things, and, and part of the way that it does that is it has legitimate needs as a nation. And if you're working this polarity of globalism and nationalism, you're able to recognize those needs 
and, and do so in a way that, that doesn't just embrace open borders because that's the most pure expression of world-centric morality, right? So an immigration system that starts with these value uh, positions acknowledged with, with a duty to integrate, right? That's the kind of starting point by which a negotiation of a, of a fairer um, and more politically acceptable immigration system, that, that, that's what it would be based on. Yeah, well, you know, even if we use basic integral theory from Claire Graves, all the first tier memes are monoperspectival. They think their way is the only way. So traditionalism, God and country, modernism, uh, which is globalism, uh, postmodernism, which is multiculturalism, they're all really identified with those things. And from an integral perspective, you know, we could see them and without being gripped by them and, um, you know, see the benefits of, of, of all of them and, um, and even the parts that, uh, where they hate each other. You know, it's also in, in addition to um, anti-modernism and reverse patriotism, which is sort of at the philosophical values level, you can also get specific and, and point to um, the divisiveness of identitarian politics, identity politics, while you know, in its milder forms is a necessary part of achieving racial equality, which of course has progressives and post-progressives who want to include this very important move toward racial equality. It's, a, it's an ongoing struggle. We are part of that struggle. And, and the, more, the more equal the races are in the United States, the more evolved we'll be, right? The same thing we can say for the equality of women. It's almost a completely objective marker of cultural evolution. The more equal the women are in a society, the more evolved that society is, right? So these are, these are things that modernity starts the, uh, the, the, the movement for the equality of women, but progressivism carries it on in successive waves. And again, those, are, those have been very important, major achievements that we, we appreciate and, and continue to support and champion. But the identity politics that needs to other Right, the mainstream, other white people, other men, right? That, that uh, is, is a dangerous, it, it's, it's potent because like all uh, us and them narratives, it can, it, it can gain traction quickly, right? It's, it's, uh, it's like a junk food for politics, red meat, right? Because it, it, it galvanizes people, right? As soon as you've got another, their, their instincts, their ethnocentric instincts are awakened at a progressive level, right? They, there's a, a partial regression, a subtle regression to ethnocentrism um, that's, that's basically, you know, tribalism even. Yeah. It's implicated in identity politics. It, it's self-defeating, because it doesn't have a, its own limiting principle. In other words, one of the major downsides of progressivism is that it doesn't, it, it, it's not self-critical adequately, and it doesn't understand the limits of its, own, uh, of its own programs, right? So diversity might be another one, right? Related to, um, uh, to identity politics. Diversity is an extremely important goal. Right, the more diverse a society is, in some, I mean, to a degree, the more evolved it is. So it's another very important transcendent goal of creating diversity in our culture that we can affirm and stand by. We can also see how the goal of diversity it kind of it, it can colonize all other goals, right? So uh, some some people I know are you know they're putting on a conference, they're creating panels, right? They they want the the panels are very important issues. But rather than getting, you know, the, the, the most informed and knowledgeable and insightful people on those panels, 
to talk about the particular issue that the panel is focused on, their main value in the whole enterprise is to create diversity. You know, you know make, make sure that there's a variety of skin colors and that the panel is at the very least equal male and female, or preferably more female than male. And yeah, I, I, I know that, and I, I know that's, uh, that's, that's true. And evolutionarily, though, I have to say, I see some of this. It's like the, the, the percentage of people of color who won the Pulitzers the number of articles in the New York Times style section about gay people. I mean, it's just, you think that half the people are gay in the country, if you look at the style section or entertainment section of the New York Times. And I actually consider, and, and then what you're talking about with people in panels and these excruciating standards that people have, that that's actually a form of reparations that I think is, uh, I just want to notice it. Because what I like about it is that we all feel like we ought to do that. And not just to make up for the sins of history, but because we have this intuition that expertise is best achieved with not just depth, but span. And that a team or panel with a multiplicity of histories and perspectives can actually be more potent than one with just a deeper level of conventional expertise. Right, at this point in history, right, if we're, if we're tacking back and forth, right, if it's a moving picture, yeah. then, then certainly we, there's no static position that simply says equal amounts meritocracy and equal amounts, you know, diversity. At its heart, it's more dynamic. It's moving back and forth. And the people who are involved in forwarding the values are aware in real time of the interdependent pole that opposes them. How would you say, Steve, that post-progressivism, because a lot of the policies look like just, you know, sort of centrist policies and so forth. How do you see it as being different than centrism? Sure. Well, centrism, as I say in the article, is commendable, but it's ultimately um, too attached to preserving the dysfunctional status quo, right? Within the conception of a left-right continuum, the middle is modernity, right? And so, and so the instincts of mainstream centrism are to move toward a kind of balanced, negotiated middle of modernity. And since centrism is ultimately modernist, it represents a, a regression, right? The instinct of, of centrists is to cut off the lunatic fringe, right? That the far left right. and the far right are just feeding off of each other. And if we can just ignore them, um, we will we'll have a more functional politics. And while, you know, that's, a, that, that's an understandable sensibility, it's ultimately regressive because modernity can't hold uh, the, the larger cultural ecosystem that we now find ourselves in and that this, so, this, this so-called, you know, far left is actually the leading edge of evolution. Yes. Right? We, we can't cut that off. Yes. Embrace that and indeed go further. Yes. And while certainly the far right is, is, is the most ugly form of politics we can imagine, there are people who, we, who the left might try to label as far right who are merely standing for traditional values, which are foundational, right? So teasing apart the dignities from the disasters of, of the far left, and I, I won't say the far right, but at least traditionalists, that's a very important role that centrism is not equipped to do because its, it's, it's, it's sensibilities are inherently modernist, right? right? So we want to just like we want to make common cause with progressives and help them succeed, we certainly would like to see centrism succeed where it can, 
but we recognize that it's politically impotent and ultimately hopeless as a political program because the horse is out of the barn, right? We're not going to regress back to a sensible modernity that that eliminates the challenge of the progressive postmodern worldview. But those were the days, right? (laughs) Well, you know, that, that there was, after, between World War II and the Absolutely. 60s, there was this yes. thing called the liberal consensus, yep. where we had a functional form of politics and centrism prevailed. But now we've evolved beyond that. We can't yep. glue the pieces back together. Yep. We have to transcend and include at a higher level, and that doesn't look like centrism yep. as it's understood yep. today. Well, you, you know, you, you have a nice nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, and then a couple years later, you have the 14-year-old. You know, the evil twin. Arrived. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't stop this growth, and it ain't always pretty, but yeah. it is beautiful. Well, there's almost like a, a philosophical, almost spiritual dimension of this post-progressive political method. Absolutely. And 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 I'd say that that involves recognizing that the human impulse, right, from you know, for the last forty thousand years at least, has been to make the world a better place, to improve the human condition, both for your own conditions, for your family. And as culture has evolved to improve conditions for larger and larger relevant groups. And so part of what this improvement is about, part of it is, is, is driven from below by the problematic life conditions that are causing trouble and suffering. But there's another component. There's not just a push from below. There's also a pull, a sense that a better way is possible, right? We might refer to it or think about it conceptually or philosophically as an upward current of the good, right? Value magnetism. So each one of these major worldviews taps into its own current, its yes. own octave of this upward current of the good, its own, its own sort of its values create the horizon of improvement that that worldview is politically and culturally striving to achieve, right? And so those, those goods, that, that current, that, that living transcendent value magnetism or gravity is still occurring within the traditional worldview, the modernist worldview, and, and the progressive worldview. Yep. And so as a, from, as a post-progressive you know, perspective, what's important to do is recognize the ongoing legitimacy of those, of those currents, right? So, so duty and honor, sacrifice for the greater good. We mentioned some of the values of traditionalism. Well, those are still ways that we need to continue to improve the society because we want to inculcate those values into our children. I mean, and not just in a personal parental setting, but in a larger social norming discourse, wherein those values are not taken for granted, that there's still a sense of fair play, still a sense of honesty and duty, that whatever the the other uh, transcendent callings of modernity or progressivism is, that if they violate fair play, if they're dishonest, then they're they're going off track with their own upward currents, right? So I I know, but you know, the traditionalists love Trump. Yes, they do. <laughs> and they do so because they see their culture being dissolved, right? So Don Beck's famous for the saying that green dissolves blue, right, in the spiral dynamics colors, meaning that this progressive culture dissolves, given the chance, would eliminate, extirpate, yes, right? right. Traditionalism in all its forms, root it out. It's, 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 it's a mythic fairy tale. It's an ethnocentric oppression, right? It's a bunch it's of corn that. pone. And, and indeed, those pathologies do need to be rooted out. I just think it's, you know, the, the job-dropping nature of evolution, the constant surprise of evolution, that these traditionalists that indeed do 
deeply hold those values you're talking about have, have chosen a con man to um, be their champion. So the, the, a post-progressive perspective can see that Trump is reprehensible and that in some ways he's, he's, the, um, he's the poster boy for the perfect, uh, the perfect bully, right, for, for the, yep. this liberal establishment, right? And so we don't have to have sympathy for Trump to have sympathy for the millions of people of good sense and good faith that sent Trump to torment us because they felt like they needed a tough guy because yep. their culture was being dissolved and disrespected. And so it, until we find a way to respect their culture and include them in our transcendence, they're going to keep sending us. <laughs> you want more Trump? That's how you get more Trump. Now we could rely on the sort of the, the politics of demographic destiny to wait for, you know, but, but somehow traditionalism is, is, is annoyingly persistent. Right. And <laughs> so, so recognizing to have sympathy, not for Trump, but for the people who voted for Trump, that involves understanding the upward current of the good that they're trying to, to, to tap right. into exactly. forward. Right. Likewise with modernity, it, you know, this idea of, of freedom and self-determination and, and not just political sovereignty, but economic sovereignty. Like you're not just a wage slave. It, you know, it gives you the opportunity to be entrepreneurial like you and I both have. And um, it gives us independence, right? We have, we have freedom that's brought about by this, I mean, freedom of not just thought, but freedom of, of taking a vacation or freedom of taking a sabbatical or, or freedom of, of writing philosophy books or doing podcasts that we wouldn't have to do. We wouldn't have that freedom if we were still, uh, you know, modern day serfs, right? Working, you know, in a way that, that exhausted us after 50 hours a week of, of working for somebody else. So that freedom, that, that, that the, the sphere of individual empowerment and sovereignty is very much an upward, authentic upward current of the good right. that modernity strives for and that a post-progressive perspective can see in ways that a progressive perspective can't. Right. What progressivism, well, what progressivism sees is that what you just talked about with this entrepreneurial and our freedom, there are some people who are shut out of that. Right. No fault of their own. Right. And they have to be taken into account too. And so there's this new thing from progressives that we need some sense of equality of outcomes. I don't know how that works with equality of opportunity. It does. I mean, they seem to be polar polarities. Uh, but at Integral, we have to take both of those into account. Right. Because we don't want people left behind in a way that even if they're sort of just incapable, and this is a struggle for me, because there's some people who just, they're just, they can't do it. They just can't work in this world somehow. Right. The idea and, that everybody should just learn to code, right? Or become yes, entrepreneurs. Or move to where the jobs are. It's mean. Right. Yeah, it's not enough. Right. So clearly, um, you know, the, the, the modernity, like I said, it's not only unsustainable, but it's crying out for improvement because there's all kinds of gross unfairness that's not tolerable. Right. But, but if, if we were to eliminate the backbone that it brings, the freedom and, and individual empowerment that it brings, then we're going to all go back to being serfs. Right. So, right. so, so the road to serfdom. <laughs> yeah. The Hayek. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so, but th then there's this also this upward current uh, that's tapped into by progressivism. And, and it's very important that we recognize that, right? So the, the, the goals of transcendence that, that progressivism has adopted, you know, are, are 
founded on the notion of equality, right? So modernity is very much about liberty. Postmodernity is very much about equality. And we can clearly see that those are an interdependent polarity, liberty and equality. Because if you have complete liberty, it's going to be a nightmare of inequality. Or if you try to create a complete equality of outcome, then you're going to have to stifle liberty. So we need a relationship of challenge and support between the upward current of liberty and the upward current of, of equality. And that can be applied self-similarly, both in every little issue position and in a, at a macro scale across the society. So, so the upward current of the good for, for, for progressives is very much about achieving equality for women, achieving equality for those who've been marginalized and, and oppressed, achieving equality for, for um, racial minorities. And all of those things are, of course, um, extremely important and necessary. If we don't work on that, then likewise, we're not going to be able to, to make a better society that works for everybody. That's an absolutely necessary set of values that we have to cherish and defend and do our best to forward. But we can see that those values, even though they're, they're gaining culturally daily, right? That is the, the election of Trump has in some ways empowered postmodernism the progressive worldview. It's, it's given it new, new power and impetus because the, the threat that it arises to address has become so much more evident and, yep. and dire. Yep. And, and so as our theory predicts, right, as, as a, a worldview comes into maturity, the more it achieves what it, set out, what it sets out to achieve, the more its pathologies become evident, the more its downsides and its limitations uh, come to the fore. And so as the, the, the Trump administration's years that we've been in have, have created progressives' power and have increased the progressive power in culture. It sort of won the culture war more, more decisively than ever before. It's also exposed these shortcomings and pathologies of, of progressive, progressivism ever before, which again strengthens the right, and so we're in this yeah. stuck, yeah. Uh, the stuck polarity of, of hyperpolarization, which is making America dysfunctional and which Trumpism feeds off of. Right, so helping, you know, making common cause with progressives in a way that can make them more aware of cultural intelligence, how powerful that is as a political method. Make them more aware of these principles of polarity systems. You know, the, the, the very important political philosophy of polarity management is, is, is a key to moving to a society that doesn't have to continually regress to Trump in order to make sure that, um, that the, the traditional values are defended and that modernity is preserved and not completely vilified. Yeah. So this is, a, you know, this is an important goal of this post-progressive political perspective. And hopefully we can frame it in terms that can succeed in a way that previous attempts to champion integral politics have failed. Yeah. Right. In other words, in, you know, integral is not, you know, it's, it's it, it has its own intellectual community. It has its movement vitality to a degree. And, and it's needed now more than ever, right? In other yeah. words, that, that we have solutions to problems that people at these previous levels, you know, that we have a solution to existential problems that can't be solved at these previous levels. So it's a new kind of thinking. It's a new approach to politics. It's inclusive yet transcendent. Um, and hopefully it's something that we can help uh, champion and get to catch yeah. on. Yeah. And it bumps us from the, you know, fear memes to the love memes. You know, what's characteristic of first-tier memes of some sort of fear and outrage? 
And what's characteristic of second tier memes started with integral is creativity, love, uh, sort of a friendliness to reality. And I think I'm realizing that you can't just jump from fear to love, that there has to be, at least in the short term, some accommodation for both. I mean, it actually is hard not to be outraged. And it's easy for me to be more sanguine than most people because of my privilege, you know, my age, my, you know, I got money, I live in Boulder, uh, all of that good stuff. I'm an American. I lucked out a lot of the lottery. But if I were young and struggling and on the margins, I'd be outraged as hell. Sure. So, you know, that's what I'm working with. But the most effective warriors don't come from complete rage because they make all kinds of mistakes and they're easily tricked, right? Yeah. Most effective warriors are those who act strategically and methodically and with, you know, careful deliberation and pre-planning. And, and cultural intelligence and this method of understanding the dynamics of values in politics is the kind of strategy that can make, that can, that can harness the, the righteous outrage and, and, and turn it into something that, that can create political evolution, you know, permanent, sustainable political evolution. Yeah. And, and the, the fact that progressivism, you know, continues to be stymied politically, right? That, that although it's, you know, continues to succeed culturally, it, that, that very cultural success is in some ways leading to its political defeat. And that's an existential problem that it, within its purview of its worldview and its discourse is not equipped to solve. Right. So and that's the point of departure for post-progressivism, is we want to see a more caring and environmentally sustainable world. We want to respond to the outrageous conditions that we find ourselves in, but we want to do it in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, again, quoting Don Beck, bless his heart, you know, progressivism is, is you know, climbs up to the top of the house and then throws down the ladder that got it there. <laughs> we have to preserve the ladder, preserve yeah. modernity, preserve this structure of evolution, this ecosystem, by um, recognizing how when we're dissolving those values, then we're shooting ourselves in the foot politically. Right on, brother. So, you know, I think we got it all straightened out. <laughs> well, at least for the beginning. I mean, what can people do, right? They can, they can um, respond to the meme of post-progressive by talking about it by sharing some of the emerging media that's around that, like my Aereo article that's just come out, like my book, Developmental Politics, like the Daily Evolver podcast, like Wilbur's book, Trump and a Post-Truth World, like all of the um, um, emerging tropes toward a what we can now characterize and label as a post-progressive form of politics that, that can transcend progressivism while including um, all of its important and laudable political goals. People can get involved with that. And with social media, it's possible to champion and, and, and be a political um, slacktivist, if you will, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and maybe go on beyond slacktivism to authentic activism by donating money, right? By joining organizations, by forming organizations, by, right. by holding meetings, right? There's, it's, it's more, it's more possible to be politically active than ever today. Yep. And I mean, once we get past the, the, the COVID. Well, shift, I know one, one, one organization they could donate to, and that's the uh, Institute for Cultural Evolution, of which I am a board member. Sure, thank which you. which you are executive director. Yes, you can become a sustaining member of the Institute for Cultural Evolution for a $15 donation. 
Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, um, sustaining members have our ear and um, we're always happy to listen to, um, to their feedback, um, you know, positive or negative. Um, but it's, it, it's going to take some virality. It's going to take uh, 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 some popularity. Unfortunately, today, um, popularity is, is overly emphasized in the media environment. And so we inevitably have to try to popularize our nerdy political integral view. And talking about in terms of post-progressivism, it's, it's just polemical enough, right? It sounds yep. a little bit like, you know, like you're anti-progressive, but that's not what it is right. because it includes as it tries to transcend. Um, and uh, let's try this label out. Let's see if it can yep. gain traction yep. because progressivism is not the end of history. And indeed, um, progressivism is not getting the job done. We can't wait another hundred years for it to become a majority. Uh, you know, we, we need to enliven it and, and help it achieve its laudable goals. And the way to do that, at least from our perspective, is to transcend it and include it with something that's even more inclusive, right? right. That, that looks to even greater degrees of fairness than what counts as progressivism today. Right on. And I would once again point people to your book, Developmental Politics, How America Can Grow Into a Better Version of Itself. And also the article you just mentioned, which is in areomagazine.com, A-R-E-O magazine.com online. Um, and that's titled, did you decide on a title yet? I think it'll be called uh, Toward a Post-Progressive Political Perspective. Okay. All right, Steve McIntosh, okay. thank you so much for your thank great you, work. As thank always. you for your friendship. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to The Daily Evolver. See you next time. <laughs>